2: Good morning, South Coast. This is Sheriff Paul Hero, not Tim Weisberg. I'm filling in for Tim today uh, between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. And in the past two hours, we had a discussion about Israel and Palestine with a caller from uh, East Jerusalem calling in. And we had somebody uh, calling in from Washington, D.C., both one representing the uh, Palestinian point of view, one representing a Jewish point of view. And then we had Marlene Pollack talking with us about some of the uh, social justice issues that she's been working on. She's a former New Bedford city councilor and member of different organizations. But now for the next half hour or less than a half hour, I should say until about um, 830, we have the deputy assistant deputy police chief of New Bedford, uh, Scott Corolla with me and Scott thanks for being here in studio. Good us. morning
3: Sheriff. How are you this morning? You're just, doing very well. I've been listening since six and it's uh very very smooth.
2: Good Well, this is my first time doing this just hosting. I, I wouldn't know to listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah usually I'm on I'm your seat you know where I'm the person who's actually right. uh, taking the questions. So which seat do you prefer? Mm-hmm. I think your seat. I, I think I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. um, you know, this yeah. is fun, you know, but I, I it's, uh, this is like an elected official, whether I was state rep, mayor, or sheriff, you know, it's, it's fun answering questions. And, and that's why I invited, um, New Bedford PD and you're here representing New Bedford PD, uh, because I like to, Edu- you know use this forum to educate the public and to talk about different issues but first you know you are the assistant deputy chief and but you also have a background in corrections and how long ago was that how long have you been on the police department
3: i do i am a um uh, an alum of your uh, department i began my career in law enforcement in 1997 mm-hmm. uh, as a corrections officer and um i worked for uh, a short period at the correctional alcohol center that was on uh kempton street and then i went to uh, ash street and i did the remainder of my time there so uh all in all roughly three years as uh as a corrections officer very good does it disappoint you that i'm looking to close ash
2: street does that kind of bother you or is it kind of like, no it's time what do you- uh, well
3: yeah i mean it's, uh, yeah, i i i will yeah i will say uh you know i have a i have an affection for uh that that time in my life when i was a corrections officer and mm-hmm. i i do have an appreciation for walking into a building where you feel that, you know, time has just, time has just left this building Mm -hmm. untouched, you know, and it was like, uh, it was like entering a different, a different world when I went in there. And I, I, you know, you could feel the history, you can feel the the, the stories, you know, that are in the walls and in the bars. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I do have my affection for it, as well as the people that I worked with there and the experiences that I had. I think that people who begin uh, as corrections officers really have uh, an edge when they they step out into another career in law enforcement because, you know, back then I, I don't know what the situation is now but you know we had we had a, a CPR mask on our belt and a pair of gloves and that was it you had to learn how to use your your best weapons which mm-hmm. are you know your mind to think and your mouth to deescalate and learn how to talk to people so those. Those are skills that carry over when you when you get out into the street and it really helps you
2: know that's a really good point you mentioned there about the, the skills and what they have to carry with them because corrections officers they don't have firearms like police officers do but I a lot of people call a corrections officer a guard and I like to correct people I say no, no a guard is the person who is working at a bank or working at a grocery store that's hired and might be a you know, part-time police officer but that's a person who's like you know guarding the area or working at a guard shack. But a corrections officer is somebody who manages people and they have to do that, as you just said, with their mind, with their, you know, there's like verbal judo de-escalation and, you know, that's... um you know it's it's a really challenging job that they have and you know the uh you know police you will have interactions with the you know somebody who might be you know arresting you know for a brief moment but then the corrections officers they they their work conditions are the living conditions of those people so corrections officers do have a tough job and i think it's great that you have that background
3: it's definitely a a very difficult job And, and you're right i've often used that uh to describe you know the dichotomy between corrections and police you know we we have somebody that we 're dealing with that's uh a handful you know and really giving you a hard time and you know you put them in the transport you send them away to uh, where they're going and you think that that's that's just the end you know they, that's the uh, they've disappeared from society they don't uh, there are a whole other group of law enforcement professionals that have to deal with that person on a daily basis and uh you know, at some point you have to you have to try and get to that person and get them to behave and find some common ground and and follow the rules so no corrections officers. It's um, it's a it's a very uh, complex job uh, dealing with human beings on that level. Where you're dealing with people that are they don't want to be there, mm-hmm. they don't like you, they don't like their conditions, and you have to make it all work. So, no, I I have I'm every bit as proud to say that I was a corrections officer as I am to say that I was a police officer. And that's, a police
2: officer. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I think a lot of uh, folks that you. Know, Bristol County Sheriff's Office probably appreciate hearing that. Um,
3: I consider them brothers and sisters, and uh, to anyone listening, uh, be safe out there, Yeah,
2: and in there. Folks <laughs> listening, if you have a question for the Assistant Deputy Chief, uh, the number is 508 996 Feel free to call in with a question or comment. Um, so it is a tough job, and it's also, ever since George Floyd, it's, it's you know, with uh, post, things have become really difficult with recruitment, retention of police officers, Um you know, like one person resisting arrest can then spiral out of control into an excessive force situation. You have, um, you know, use of force is authorized. Excessive force is never authorized, both with police and corrections, and there there right. is a difference, you know. But one person resisting arrest can then turn a police officer or a corrections officer's life upside down, and that yeah. that makes life difficult, uh, you know. Operations difficult, like recruiting police officers. We're like in in the jail right now. We're offering a five thousand dollars signing bonus because we were down well over a hundred corrections officers, and I'm trying to get our numbers back up and do a lot of different things for that. How difficult has it been for the police department? Um, to recruit and also retain post George Floyd, did you see a lot of people leave the department who were just like, "I'm just not going to do this anymore"? Or, um, you know, what's going on with that recruitment and retention?
3: Well, yeah, it was. um it, in addition to being a, a, a very rough time for the country, it was uh, it was a rough time for law enforcement. You know, and it's um, it forced us uh, in many ways to do a little bit of introspection and, and make some changes. That uh, a lot of the changes that we made were for the best, um, but yeah it 's a nationwide trend you know it 's not just something that we see here in the northeast that there there is a uh, there's a trend away from law enforcement and when I first came on this job the the line was wrapped around the building uh and now you know we're <clears throat> we're put in a position where we're in an industry that never had to recruit and now we have to learn recruitment and i think we've um you know i think that we we're, we're catching on fast you know with the with the you know, again you offer the <clears throat> excuse me the five thousand dollar sign on bonus as do we. Um, and, you know, we try to be competitive uh, with other departments and other industries. and uh, But it's still a challenge. But there are, still, there are still people out there. You know, we graduated uh, seven new officers last week. Um, and we have some more going to the academy. And, you know, when, you, when I talk to these new officers, um, I see that same glimmer that, you know, you see among new officers, the same glimmer that I had uh, when I started 23 years ago on the streets, that there are still people out there who want to do the job, who want to get involved, who want to make changes for the better in their community, and who realize that this, is a, this career is a great vehicle for them to do that. And so it's, it's really inspiring, uh, and it's really encouraging to see that there are new people uh, and there are young people out there that, that want to get into this industry. And I think it's only going to improve as we, as we move further away from you know the dark times and as we begin to, to change our training and the way that we do things. Um, people are going to see that you know this is this is not a, a, an industry to be necessarily afraid of. This is somewhere where you can come and you can have uh, you can have a great career.
2: Yeah, the you know, speaking of training, you know when. Um after George Floyd, when there was a lot of calls to defund the police, and when I was mayor in Attleboro, I did just the opposite. I increased funding for the police, and specifically mm-hmm. with training, uh, de-escalation, implicit bias, dealing with mental illness, and duty to intervene. Those were four courses that every we had about um, just under 100 police officers in our force. How many do you have in New Bedford? Probably a lot,
3: lot more than 100. Oh, right now we are, right now we're about, uh, we're approximately 205,
2: 205. Okay. Yeah. So twice as big as, well, new Bedford's roughly twice as big as Attleboro. So that makes both sense. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, we, um, so what I did was I actually invested in, you know, police training and that, you know, it, it drove me crazy whenever I'd hear those stories. Well, oh, yeah, we should defund the police, defund the police. Like, no, no, no. You, the very first thing that's going to get cut if you defund the police is training, because that's like the lowest hanging fruit. You can't Defund or, you know, reduce funding on the ammunition supplies, for example. In Attleboro, we'd spend about $30,000 a year. I'm guessing you guys probably spend probably close to 60000 because You have to be, you know, range qualified. And, you know, so um, what are some of the things that you did with uh, training after, you know, George Floyd to make you a better police department? Because you, as a police department, you and the chief and the mayor, you always want things to be getting better. So what are right. some of those things that you did that... Um, the public might not know about, stuff that you are doing to make for better officers on the street be
3: able to do their jobs better? Well, one of the things that we did was we adopted this program um, from the Police Executive Research Forum that was, uh, it's called the ICAT training, Um, that's how it's known in the industry. We are the only police department right now in Bristol County that is working towards having all of our officers trained in it. And what ICAT is, is it's forced police officers to look at the way that we are doing things as far as you know years ago there was no walking away from a situation uh, it, it would escalate to the point where uh, you know tempers uh, temperature, uh, tempers rose and you know sometimes it would uh, we're pushing issues that really should have been looked at a different way and ICAT kind of gives you that ability to take a deep breath analyze the situation that uh, you're dealing with and really weigh the uh, the benefits of you know uh, are we going to charge forward or are we going to slow this down and back away and that really has um to me it's been a game changer a lot of the trainings that we have but you know implicit bias uh all these kind of trainings that came out after that time that's why you know it's a lot of the changes that we had were good because i i wish i had some of this training 20 years ago in the uh in the academy you know and uh but it, they're really catching up and de-escalation has become such a such a great part of what we do out there. You know, again, and it's something that, you know, I, I was be- had yeah, the benefit of learning in corrections, you know, the the reliance on your mind and the reliance on your ability to talk to people and the reliance on the compassion that you have uh, and understanding that the tools on your duty belts, um, those are for when those uh, those inherent weapons that you have fail, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I think it's been a great thing and I know the ICAC train has been great and we've, um, the city and the department, they've been very progressive about training, which is, which is a good thing because it's true. As you say, a lot of people see training as, you know, a lot of administrations might see training as the last thing that they want to spend money on or a little bit further down the line, uh, as a budget item. And, um, you know, New Beverly's kind of embraced that, you know, it's nice to see that we've, we're trying to put the whole department through that training. Yeah. You know, uh,
2: the training is what's going to keep us out of the news. You know, the, right. tra- you know, it's, you know, when you, so we don't have these high profile cases of, you know, police abuse, which, you know, it's unfortunate it happens, you know, but that's, you know, incumbent upon us as administrators to make sure that our people under us get that training. Um, on the call with us right now is Scott Carolla, who is the assistant deputy chief of police for new Bedford. If we have anybody who wants to call in with uh questions I'm one of
3: two, I have i uh, I'm so I'm the assistant deputy chief of patrol operations and, uh, is uh, Assistant Deputy Chief Dark Belong, who is the, the ADC of Special Operations and Administration. Very good. Glad you gave the shout out to your colleague. <laughs> so,
2: if um, anybody has any questions, the number is 508 996 0500. Feel free to call in, but we need to go to a uh, scheduled break, you know, for, and we'll be back in probably three minutes, I think. And then, um, you know, we'll continue talking with the Assistant Deputy Chief of Operations. Cool. Good morning, South Coast. This is Sheriff Paul Hurrow filling in for Tim, and with me I have Scott Carolla, who's the Assistant Deputy Chief of Operations in the New Bedford Police Department. We're talking about a bunch of different issues with corrections and uh, the New Bedford Police Department. But so we were just talking about training and recruitment. But something else that's coming up is the uh, civil service test, and you know that's for recruiting for police officers to work in New Bedford. Uh, Chief, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, we find ourselves in a pinch sometimes because people will approach us about uh, coming on the job. And uh, you might be approaching me in June and asking how you can get on. And we are kind of at the... Um, we're at the, the mercy of the civil service test, which is it used to be biannual, and now, I, as I understand it, it's annual. So, wow. you have to take... We are a civil service city, and you have to take a civil service test uh, to be put on the eligibility list. Mm-hmm. So, when people... Uh, Want to become a police officer? You have to take this test. And uh, it's fortunately, right now, you have uh, another four days. It's uh, on on January 30th. That's the last date to apply for the entry-level police exam. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested, and even if, you, if you're just on the fence, you don't know if you're really interested, but you kind of have an inclination, mm-hmm. it's a couple of hours on a Saturday morning, take the test, get yourself on the list, and you can make the decision later on. How would somebody get on the list? Okay, so you have to go to uh, Mass, uh, Mass Civil Service, the website, and you look for entry-level exams and you'll see uh, entry-level police officer and also Mass State Police. They also use this this system as well. Uh, and if you've never taken a civil service test before, don't let that scare you because next month on February 24th, we are going to have a, a seminar, uh, a test-taking seminar. It's free. We are the only community, as far as I know, that is uh, preparing people who have signed up for the test uh, to take the test and do their best on game day. And that's going to be taught by uh, ADC Derek Belong, mm-hmm. uh, who is coincidentally the uh, nephew of Alan Belong, one of your longstanding captains mm-hmm. from BCSO and my former, uh, my former training instructor.
2: <laughs> so if somebody were to do a Google search, they could quickly find a link to sign up for the civil service test Take the test, get on the list, you know, you'll rank on it. Um, I know when I was mayor in Attleboro, the chief and I, and the fire chief as well, we wanted to get out of civil service because it kind of really limited who we were able to hire. Um, It's, you know, we don't have to deal with the civil service in in corrections of the PCSO, um, but what are some of the benefits of being a police officer in New Bedford? What would, uh, you know, if you were to try and recruit right now and say, hey, this is what we have to offer, what are some of those benefits?
3: Well, you know, we have uh we have competitive wages and uh benefits, but I'll tell you the the, the benefit And what I mean by benefits also it's not
2: just the like retirement and salary. Sure. It's just like the, the coolness of the job, you know, like the what, Yeah, what do you absolutely. Say?
3: You know, it's uh if you want if you're interested in police work, then you're interested in all the things that go along with it. When you come to work in New Bedford, uh that's where that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's a city it has uh, so many people that you can interact with. There are so many, there's so much youth out there that you can inspire. There are so many people, uh, you know, elderly people that are living by themselves that would love to have somebody come and check in on them. The calls for service, you really can make a difference. And, you know, after 23 years on this, you know, as a police officer, I can say, you're not gonna change the world, but you can change a small portion of it. And it's really been a fulfilling career for me. Uh, and I know that there are still so many officers out there that have been on for years that go out there and do this job every day and they are self-motivated. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really is a meaningful and noble profession.
2: Yeah. when I, You know, I, I always think of police officers as uh, law enforcement professionals, but also with what we're dealing with today, you're also part-time social workers, not like licensed clinical social workers, but you, you act like a caseworker or a clinician of sort. But you probably also, like the uh, New Bedford Police Department's, You know, Attleboro, other police departments. You work with clinicians. Tell me about, like, and tell the audience a little bit about that relationship between you know the the police department and then working with uh, you know somebody who's a clinician because you're dealing with a lot of people who have mental health issues. uh, On the outside, you know, how how does that work? You know, you work with other organizations to you know serve the public better.
3: Yeah, it's it's a new benefit, and I think it's going to be something that um, I think it's going to be something that you're going to see. As the usual, uh, all across the country, and we we go out now. Uh, police officers, many times of the day, have the benefit of riding along with uh, a clinician. So the clinicians are, you know, mental health professionals, and so much of what we deal with uh, deals with mental health, right? People that are going through the roughest times in their life, and sometimes, you know, a police officer is not the first person that they wanna that they wanna talk to. Sometimes, you know, you're not the best choice to resolve an issue. So to have a clinician along with us. Is something that's really beneficial. Somebody who can say, "Well, you know what? I I think this person is suffering from from this sort of trauma or mm. this sort of affliction, or no, I think this is more um, being affected by substances in there in the bloodstream. You know, it's uh, it's it's so nice to have that tool in our belt of having clinicians, and I think that. Someday, departments all across the country will have them uh, at their disposal, you know, uh, 24-7, you know. Yeah.
2: We have a caller on the line, so let's go ahead. Oh, caller is no longer there. Take that back. Yeah, no. They don't like to wait.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. So. Um, <laughs> I answered their question. Yeah. 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 So.
2: The um, yeah, but, you know, it's uh, being a police officer, being corrections officer, a couple of the toughest jobs, you know, out there, you're dealing with uh, people who notoriously made bad decisions throughout their lives. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, uh, one person resisting arrest or when it's corrections, you know, one person resisting, you know, a cell move can, you know, escalate things and, you know, things can spiral out of control Then the officer with its corrections or police officer, then their life is upside down and they're in the news. So it's a really tough job. Um, I, I there's actually, I, I read, uh, I mentioned this the other day and I've read a lot of books on corrections and stuff, but there's one of them that a corrections officer recommended to me and it was an excellent. One. It was really short. It was called the nothing that never happens. And so that's the, what happens is that Corrections officers have to deal with, um, you know, assaults, assault on staff, they're yeah. breaking up fights and that gets documented. But then there's a lot of things that don't get documented The nothing that never happens. Nothing never happens. There's always something happening. There's, you know, there's, uh, you know, different stressors that they have to deal with. It, I'm guessing it's probably very similar as a police officer. Not everything always gets documented, not because we're trying to cut corners and not, but, you know, you, you deal with little things that pop up and, you know, people melting off to you and that, that stress wears on you. You know, what are your
3: thoughts about that? It can, you know, I- I definitely think that there is' a an, uh, an accumulation of uh little small instances of trauma that you know uh wear on you as the years go on and it's not mm-hmm. only it's not always uh somebody being aggressive towards you but just just being on board and witnessing the, the somebody else's pain you know mm-hmm. so many times you go to uh, an accident scene and you know or you go to um, I, know, I remember the first time I ever went to the scene of somebody that that passed away uh, I remember what what really took me uh what really took hold of my attention was the fact that i walked into the apartment and the television was on there was food on the table the coffee was still warm and this person had passed away and it it really gets you to reflect upon uh the fragility uh of life you know and like you said those are little small experiences that you have that uh that accumulate you know but uh there's, uh, you know, you can, you can, trauma can take you down, but you can also, you can also grow from trauma and grow from those mm-hmm. experiences. So if you take those experiences and, and you use it uh, to appreciate life and appreciate the things that you have, then it's a positive. I used to, um, when my children were small, I used to tell them that, you know, what, what dad did and what does dad do? Well, dad goes, goes out and gets bad guys. Uh, but as they get older, you know, they understand the truth of that. And we can discuss the truth of that. I don't deal with a lot of bad guys. I deal with a lot of we do, and, and we, you know, we deal with a lot of sad people who have made bad choices in life. And, you know, but for the grace of God, go we, you know. Um, so it's, you come, to, as I get further into this career, I have a deeper understanding of people and what makes them do the things that they do and how lucky I am that I was not put on that same road. Very good. Assistant Deputy Chief. Thank you
2: for coming in. It's all the time we have. I have somebody else coming in from the BCSO. It's uh, Captain Ryan Save, who's going to talk to us about inmate discipline next. Um, but we have to take our break. And, you know, thank you so much for taking a half hour to join us here and educate the public a little bit more what the New Bedford
3: Police Department's all about. Thank you very much uh, to all the officers of the Bristol County Sheriff's Office behind the wall and to all my brothers and sisters out on the street. Please be safe. Very good. Thank you
0: now the biggest stories on the south coast from the wbsm newsroom
1: this is wbsm news the human rights chief at the united nations is condemning the execution of an american prisoner by nitrogen gas michael Kastner reports alabama death row inmate kenneth smith was executed thursday for a 1988
2: murder for hire and was the first in the nation to die by nitrogen gas U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights released a statement today calling death by nitrogen hypoxia an untested method of suffocation that may amount to torture or cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment. One witness to the execution reported that 58-year-old Smith struggled to breathe for more than 20 minutes. I'm Michael Kastner.
1: Former President Trump is encouraging states to send National Guard troops to Texas to defy a Supreme Court ruling about border security. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is refusing to abide by a Supreme Court decision that allows federal border agents to remove razor wires strung along the southern border to help keep out migrants. The FAA says Boeing can once again fly its 737 MAX 9 planes. Mark Mayfield reports. The agency just completed its safety review following the in-flight blown Alaska Airlines door plug.
2: But the FAA accompanied the ruling with a warning saying the incident must never happen again. It also said it wouldn't approve of any expansion of the 737 MAX lineup production for the time being. Alaska said it will fly some of its 737 MAX 9s this week and United Airlines said it would begin using its fleet this weekend. I'm Mark
1: Mayfield. An American journalist accused of spying will be held in Russia for another two months. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich was detained in Moscow last March on espionage allegations that have been strongly denied by the journal and by the U.S. government. Today, a judge in Moscow granted the request of Russian investigators that Gershkovich remain behind bars until at least the end of this March. Russian authorities have yet to present evidence to support their espionage claim against the 32-year-old American citizen who's being held in a Moscow prison. A new study finds babies born to mothers who had COVID while pregnant have unusually high rates of respiratory distress. Previous studies found that getting COVID while pregnant could pose health risks for newborns, but the new research found there could also be long-term consequences. 200 pregnant women took part in the study and babies of unvaccinated mothers had three times the likelihood of experiencing respiratory distress. New research finds that many young adults are not financially independent. A recent report from the Pew Research Center found that those aged 18 to 24 are most likely to rely on their parents for financial Financial support but the study also found that people in their early 30s also need assistance with almost one in five saying their parents help out with their household bills today marks four years since basketball legend kobe bryant his daughter and seven others died in a helicopter crash in southern california kobe was 41 and his daughter 13. And Billy Joel set to perform at this year's Grammy Awards. The five-time Grammy winner recently announced his new single will debut February 1st. It's Joel's first new song since 2007's All My Life. The Grammys take place in Los Angeles on Sunday, February 4th on CBS at 8 p.m. Turning now to the South Coast, a Connecticut man has been charged with murder for the shooting death of a Fall River man in December. Fabian Robles Nicasio allegedly killed Juan Manuel Batista Castro. South Coast Rail Service out of Fall River expected to start in May or June, and a Rhode Island lawmaker calling on the state's transportation head to resign over the Washington Bridge closure. Time now for WBSM Sports, brought to you by Sparks Auto in Dartmouth. The Boston Bruins bounced back from their recent loss with a 3-2 win over the Ottawa Senators in overtime. They visit the Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow. The Boston Celtics captured their third straight win after blowing out the Heat 143-110. to 110. They host the LA Clippers tomorrow night. And now your forecast with ABC6. Get your rain gear handy because you'll need it this morning. The rain will taper off, but it won't be until late today. This morning, rainy conditions, uh, temperatures in the mid to upper 30s, well above average for the morning. Slight chance of rain as we head into the afternoon hours under cloudy skies and temperatures in the mid 40s. Overnight tonight, clouds linger as well as into tomorrow from the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Sassi Del Carmen on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. I'm Phil Devitt for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station, WBSM. and Get all of our content and breaking news alerts with the WBSM app.
2: Good morning, Bedford. So I am not Tim. This is Sheriff Paul Rowe, and I'm filling in for Tim today. I've been on since about 6 a.m., and right after this, I'm heading over to jail, going back to jail today. So uh, the first hour, we had somebody talking about, um, you know, things going on in Israel and Palestine and Gaza from a pro-Palestinian point of view, and then we had somebody for, you know, between 7 and 7.30 talking about Israel, but from a pro uh, pro-israel point of view we had marlene pollack from coalition of social justice and fair share and then we had the deputy assistant deputy police chief um talking about things from new bedford now finally last but certainly not least we have captain ryan save who is the captain of the d boards and ryan is with me here in studio and um, i brought ryan in to talk about inmate discipline for a couple of reasons um we at the jail, you know, we uh, like at jails everywhere and police officers, they sometimes have to deal with uh, people who will assault, other people, you know, it could be a, you know inmate on inmate assault. Sometimes it could be an inmate on staff assault. Uh, inmates also sometimes are, you know, caught with contraband, whether it's drugs or whether it's a weapon of some sort. Um, but there's all different types of things that, you know, inmates have to be held accountable for. You know, the April 21st uprising, we're pressing charges on those inmates, and, you know, that's uh, beyond just regular routine discipline. But Captain Ryan Sauve, um, he's a veteran with the Bristol County Sheriff's Office, And, you know, he's the person who oversees the inmate discipline. So he knows this subject better than anyone inside and out. And it's important that we, you know, hold inmates accountable. And, you know, so Ryan, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how long have you been with the Bristol County Sheriff's Office? Uh, So
0: 1993, I started in September of 1993. So it's going on 31 years um, I've worked in just about every aspect of the
2: department, mm-hmm. uh, but th- for the last 17 years has been with inmate discipline. And 17 years of inmate discipline, amazing. Yeah, so you, you do know this subject inside now. I, great. Do. Yeah. I do, I do. Yeah. So let me ask you a few questions then, and we're going to actually take our first break. I'm going to ask you one question, then we're going to take our first break. But also for the listeners, if you want to call in uh, to Captain Save, Ryan, 508 996 0500. That's the number, 508 996 0500. Uh, first question halfway, though, is for the audience to know, what is the disciplinary board and how does that work? Like, you know, we inmate does something wrong. They get a D report. They go discipline. What, what's that all? About? Yeah. So not to bore people, but
0: way back when in the 1970s, there was a landmark case, Wolf versus McDonald. Um, basically, that gave the r- rights to inmates to have due process even inside the jail mm-hmm. with uh, inmate discipline. Um, and basically,
2: it. Um, I don't think people realize that there's like a due process that inmates have inside. You know, that's something that most. Why would most people even think of that or right, realize right. that? Yeah,
0: most people think that you lock them up, you throw away the key, and that's mm-hmm. it if they commit a disciplinary infraction inside there. But that's not the case. They get a lot of rights inside the facility mm-hmm. as well. Um, we have to give them their due process rights. And that was set by which court? It was a state? state. That, that was the Supreme Court. It went to the Supreme Court in the 1960s, 70s. Don't quote me on it. U.S. Supreme Court, not our Correct. state one. Correct. Yeah. No, okay. the U.S. <S. U.S. <S. U.S. Supreme, Supreme Court. U.S. Okay. Yep. And uh, they found that they have the right to due process inside the jail as well with mm-hmm. uh, disciplinary offenses. They have the right to call witnesses. They have the right to present documentary evidence mm-hmm. uh, going forward with their case. It's ju- ju- just like outside if they committed a crime. Do
2: they get legal representation if they should choose? Like, you you know, like if yeah. you go to court, you, you get a court-appointed attorney if you can't afford one. Does that Correct. also happen in jail? Do we? Yeah. Get-
0: in the county, uh, at the county level, it does not happen. Okay. But when you get sentenced to a state facility, they are uh, entitled to have a lawyer and sit in on the disciplinary hearing.
2: Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, great. So we have to take our first break, but when we come back, we'll be back with Captain Ryan Save. Feel free to call in and ask the captain about questions concerning inmate discipline 508 996 0500. Good morning, South Coast. This is Sheriff Paul Harrell. I'm filling in for Tim this morning. And in the studio with me, I have Captain Ryan Save, who is captain of the disciplinary board. Disciplinary board, as the captain's been telling us, is the uh, process by which inmates are held accountable for when they do things wrong within the jail, whether or not they're assaulting somebody or doing contra- using contraband or being fought with it, which brings me to my next question, you know. And so uh, thanks for being here with us, Cap. Sure. What are some of the most repetitive violations that you see come across your desk? And you've been doing this for seventeen years, so you know what? Like, what do you see inmates—the biggest violation of the rules inside the, the jail?
0: Yeah, well, um, fights and drugs would probably be at the top of the list. Um, our facility is unique because we have two major cities that we deal with: Fall River. New Bedford, then you have the large cities like Attleboro as well.
2: And there's 20 cities and towns all together in Bristol County that will take inmates from, you know, and then then sometimes even inmates from another county, which they will hold them briefly just like that. That's right.
0: And uh, when when you get two big cities like that, uh, you get a lot of uh, gang activity. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, you know, they commit crimes out on the street, they come in here, if it's a gang member, and the issues don't stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you get basically what's called uh, on-site fights. If they see a, a rival gang member, um, there is no questions asked. They are fighting.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so that is not a good combination or recipe for anyone. Yeah, and that's something we have to watch for when we're housing inmates. We have to make sure that we account for, like when we're putting them in this housing unit or these cells that we don't put rival gangs together. That's the classification, Matt Robitaille, as you yeah. know, you work closely with yeah. him. He, he does a lot of work with that. You
0: yeah, know. and that's a, that's a huge issue as well because we have... A lot of different things that go into this stuff. Um, these gang members, some of them have mental illness. Some of them are protective custody inmates. Uh, we have had COVID-19 issues, housing issues, the gang issues. We have limited room in that facility. So it's very challenging for our classification mm-hmm. department.
2: Yeah, You actually mentioned mental health. And that brings me to another question, which is what do you do when someone's in our facility who has a mental health uh, issue And they commit a rule infraction or sometimes just outright break the law. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how do you deal with those mental health cases?
0: Yeah. So the mental health inmates, obviously, that's come to the forefront a lot uh, the past few years. But um, we had the criminal justice reform bill uh, passed and uh, part of the reform bill was dealing with mentally ill inmates. And uh, we have mental health clinicians Um, And their job is to diagnose the inmates with uh, what we call serious mental illness. Mm. And if they're uh, diagnosed with that serious mental illness, um, they're more uh, subject to programming rather than kind of locking them up behind a closed door. We try to work with those people. Mm. Um, So that's how we would deal with this. But if they're deemed to have the serious mental illness, um, they're not held in restrictive housing units. Mm. We have more uh, like a step down unit to deal with their mental health issues.
2: So you called it restrictive housing unit. You know, I mean, the, the public thinks of, you know, when you act up in jail or prison, you get thrown to the hole. Mm-hmm. We were calling that restrictive housing unit. Now we're calling special management. Correct, yeah, it.
0: yeah. The, the restrictive housing is habit
2: forming. Yeah, I, I still call it that too as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. this, but Monday through Friday, and I believe you participate in these meetings every day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Yes. Where we look at all of the inmates who are in the special management unit, restrictive housing, so-called what the public would call the whole yeah um you know what are those meetings like um you know we have a caller so let's uh actually we'll hold that thought let's take the caller so they're not waiting but we'll come back to that though but like what those you know like the review process in just a moment so uh caller uh, what's your name hello hey caller we got somebody calling in you're you're live on the air right now so feel free to say hi Nope. Okay. I guess not. I guess it was, uh, so, guess,
0: okay, let's go to, yeah. So, uh, going, getting back to the, uh, we, we have basically on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, we have, uh, what we would refer to as a multidisciplinary committee meeting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's me, it's, uh, classifications, it's, um, people from mental health,
2: SIU, uh, special, SIU.
0: Uh, yep. Uh, everybody involved in, in special management here. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not what I say goes. Basically we mm-hmm. review every single inmate that's uh, brought down to those special management areas, mm-hmm. and at that time we kind of dictate what 's going to happen going forward um, in the in the reform, but also we have something that we have to adhere to called unacceptable risk mm-hmm. um, and if they pose an unacceptable risk out in general population then then we keep them down there if they don't we as, as
2: a group mm-hmm. uh see what 's best for the inmate and move them on yep so there's no one person deciding what happens to any one inmate. every inmate is treated. The same by being treated differently. You look at, you know, each inmate as an individual case and you make a decision based on that. And so they have, you know, like a, a process by which that, you know, you know, it, so, so it's not just like, like we're not, we're not running a country club. You know, yep. and so inmates are held accountable when they do something wrong. Mm-hmm. What about, like, the staff assaults? You know, we have, like, a situation over the summer where staff assaults were up, but now they're back down. Although last week we had two inmates uh, assault uh, five corrections officers, and all five of those went to the hospital, one of them with a really serious injury. Um, but, you know, there's, like, when something like that happens, you know, the, like, let's take that, you know, incident last week. You know, mm-hmm. we had uh, two inmates assault the five corrections Take us through the process you know we get the situation under control the in, um, you know the inmates are you know locked up we' brought in what what happens next to those inmates that assault staff?
0: yeah, so uh, this is a different uh, case because one of them got transferred out of the facility, um, but in a case like that, um, they would get some serious discipline. Um, they're not exempt mm-hmm. to any any type of you know in, in our committees when we when we speak about these guys, the staff assaults the serious assaults on other Mm -hmm. inmates, those guys are getting put in what we would call now the um, IMU, um, which is the uh, intensive, I'm sorry, (laughs) I get confused on (laughs) the letters. The acronyms, yeah. Yeah. uh, You know them better than I do. It's it's an intensive behavioral unit is what it is. And uh, those guys get some serious, uh, Mm -hmm. we deal with those guys seriously.
2: And when you say serious discipline, what we're not doing is we're not, starving them we're not uh taking a cane and beating them what does that mean serious discipline how, like no how, that, how, what does that, 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 that means like?
0: basically they're losing a lot of their privileges they're mm-hmm. going to an area that uh they still get out of their cell uh, two and a half uh, hours a day plus mm-hmm. programming um so they're not like old school locked behind a door for 24 hours a day like mm-hmm. like a lot of people think um because it you know, it's, it's also important, as, as tough as that can be, to be uh, sentenced to the IMU or IBU. <laughs> I, I always forget the, uh, the acronym. But um, it's important to understand that these guys are locked behind a door for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that wears on, on your mental health. That'll wear on anybody's mental yeah. health. Um, so it's important to, you know, balance what's going on with them. And that's why this uh, multidisciplinary committee is so important.
2: Very good. We have to take our final break of the hour and we'll be back with Captain Ryan Save, who's captain of the D boards. Uh, Come right back. Good morning, South Coast. This is Sheriff Paul Horeau filling in for Tim. And in studio with me, I have Captain Ryan Save, who's captain of the D boards, which is the disciplinary boards at the jail. Um, So, Captain Ryan, you had mentioned something about criminal justice reform bill. You know that was something that was a lot of advocates pushed for, legislature voted on, and then it changes what we do internally. We have to follow the law. What's that done for what you yeah. do with the discipline uh, with yeah, the sure. discipline?
0: I mean, it, there's been a lot of changes with that. Uh, originally, uh, the criminal justice reform bill was basically it was built uh, for you know eliminating mandatory minimum sentence for like uh, low level drug offenders. Um, equity with like bail uh bail uh and stuff like that but it also had an effect on uh the my job uh the prison because it also reduced uh the length of solitary confinement Mm -hmm. uh that that and again i'm not sure if that's good or bad um but that's the law
2: depends on the person i suppose exactly yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. um so um yeah it's been a little difficult adjustment with that Mm -hmm. but again uh i know we keep talking about the multidisciplinary committee but we're all a committee here and we (laughs) we try to do the right thing by by the reform bill
2: yeah I I think that's something a lot of the public thinks happens at the jail is one person makes a decision I never I personally never make a decision Mm -hmm. alone I always you know make sure there's a panel of people behind if we're gonna do a big change we get input from everyone I mean you've you've even in recent history said hey we doing you know inmate discipline differently I said nope you haven't been part of the conversation so it hasn't changed yet." because you'll you'll be part of that conversation when it finally happens yeah Um, so uh, but yeah, you know, when you came in earlier today, about a half hour ago, you said you have a bone to pick with me. Yes. Yeah, so, so what's, what's going on with this? I actually do have a bone to pick okay, with Okay, go you. ahead. What's this? I'm glad you brought it up. I wasn't going to bring it up on the
0: air, but um, you, we had a conversation last week and mm-hmm. you were talking about your fasting periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I attempted the to fast for 24
2: hours and I was sick as a dog. So thank you very much. So, so 24 hours. So, um, the, the okay, so for the the audience who... Might not know, I actually do intermittent fasting Monday through Friday, uh, pretty much eat between 5 and 9 p.m. But then on every quarter, I also do a five day water fast. And I'll tell you though, the first 24 hours, maybe the first 36 hours, those are the worst. That's you know, but after that, it just it, it doesn't really feel so bad. So you you kind of yeah. gave up after just the 24 um, I'm, hours? I'm
0: still, I'm doing okay. Um, I am fasting. Are uh, you doing it right now? But just not as long as, okay. as
2: the, the one day.
0: Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, the, I will give you a little bit of a benefit of the doubt too. Mm-hmm. I did not have a coffee that day. And I know that has a lot to do with probably how I felt the headaches and, and all that stuff. So
2: that, I, yeah, see, I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. So, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any withdrawals from that or anything, but yeah, yeah it's, you know, the when you do the fasting, you know, yeah, it burns off all the sugar in our bloodstream and everything. And I'm getting the evil eye from our, uh, you know, other, oh, we have about a one minute to go. Okay. Very good. So, um, yeah, so. You know, is, we have in the last minute, what would you like, The what do you think the public should know about the jail, you know, that you don't think they probably know or misperceptions about? You've been there since 1993, you know, you're, yeah. you've done almost all the jobs in there. You're a captain. What do you think would be good for the public to know in probably like 30 seconds?
0: Yeah, well, coming from a disciplinary perspective, um, I'd like people to know. I think there's, there's uh, maybe people thinking out there in the public that uh, these guys, you know, get off easy, uh, but... The serious offenders, I'm talking the serious offenders, they don't get off easy at all. Um, We do make exceptions to, you know, certain things that happen in the jail, but the serious offenses.
2: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.